Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chelsea, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Coming to you on your speakers and headsets. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Jackie from Houston, I have Rahul from Connecticut, and we have Alex back in Maine. All right, guys, we have a fun-filled week this week with cups going on. Uh, it looks like it's going to be a good day to start. Maybe, Rahul, you can take us, kick us off with some transfers. Yes, so uh, before we get into uh, Chelsea games, let's talk about some transfers. So earlier today, the news broke that Kennedy's coming back uh, from his loan in Brazil. And uh, initially, a lot of rumors about maybe him filling in as the backup uh, left wing back, but it seems like he's uh, actually going to go out on another loan. So uh, there is still some possibility that Emerson does eventually come back and, and take up that uh, left wing back position. Uh, another position or another player linked with Chelsea, and this keeps coming up, and so I'll, I'll get both your thoughts uh, here in a second, is Osman Dembele from uh, Barcelona. He's worked with Tuchel in the past at Dortmund. So, uh, Alex, would you like to see him maybe feature once every season, given his injury record? Um, I honestly I honestly do like that transfer um, in theory. I think in practice, it's a little more difficult because that's maybe not our most necessary position at the moment. Um, we do have pretty good attacking depth already. And obviously, as a Polisic fan, I do think um, that might further hinder uh, Christian Polisic's opportunities in the first team. But I think it's on a, on a talent level, it's clear what he's got to offer. And even today in Barcelona's um, three, two loss to Real Madrid, Dembele put on a really outstanding show. He had like seven of seven dribbles completed five shots or something like that, creating chances um, when he's healthy. And obviously that's not a given. He is a very talented player. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm a believer in second chances. I've got some sympathy for injury issues, uh, having been a vocal Christian Pulisic supporter uh, through a few ups and downs there. So, you know, if that happens, I'm going to be in full support, though I don't think that's necessarily our first uh, priority here. Yeah, I agree with you. And I mean, you mentioned his injury record. It's been pretty bad, but he's still only 24. So uh, he does have age on his side. Jackie, what are your thoughts on uh, Dembele maybe coming in and, adding to our attacking options yeah i'll echo what alex said on talent i think and even jürgen klopp and you know thomas tuchel who have seen him have talked a lot about his raw talent and what he brings just on his day obviously but it's a position that i feel like we're saturated in you know christian pulisic mason mount kai havitz timo werner uh hakim ziek kalam hudson i mean the list goes on and not to mention we've got a lot of youth that could potentially come in and fill in those positions so if you get a good deal on him, I mean, there's always an opportunity, but I'm hearing crazy numbers that Barcelona are asking for their talented injured talismans. So uh, for me, if we can kind of look at maybe a defensive midfielder, potentially wing backs where we've been struggling with in that position, that's probably what's more important right now for Chelsea. Yeah, I got to agree with both of you. Uh, another one that's not Chelsea related, but one that kind of impacts or, or affects the relegation battle is Chris Wood moving from Burnley to Newcastle. Uh, a striker that scored a, a few goals for Burnley. Uh, wasn't really sure when I heard what to make of it. So maybe, Jackie, you can help me. This is this a good move for Newcastle? It's a good move for Chris Wood is what I would say. <laughs> Uh, Newcastle, I think, Rahul, given where they are positionally, are going to struggle to get 
the big talent right. that they want in this particular window because teams and players want to see that they're potentially going to survive the drop. You don't want to be a, a star player. Of course, money's nice and you're going to get a good payday out of it, but you don't necessarily want to be a star player that gets a good paycheck, but then is playing championship football. You kind of lose that uh, illustrious career getting that one season down there. But if they're able to survive the next summer, it would be incredible for Chris Wood. Uh, good payday. He's a good player overall. I think he'll add to their forward line, given that they have had some injury issues there. Now they do have their star starting uh, Callum Wits- Wilson and Joe Ellington back in form, but uh, another one to add to the mix for sure. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe that's half kind of a half preparation for going down and Chris Wood being the man that can bring them back up. Uh, Alex, anything to to add to that transfer? Yeah, well, just looking at Newcastle's depth at the moment, they're certainly a little thin in the attacking area. Obviously, they've got the immensely talented St. Maximin. Right. Um, but in terms of pure out-and-out strikers, I mean, you've got Joe Linton, who can play as a center forward, but I think most would agree he's not maybe top tier in terms of uh, Premier League talent. Um, and then you have Callum, uh, Callum Wilson, who's currently injured. And what I'm seeing for an expected return date is early March, 2022. Oh, if wow. Newcastle want to have any chance of staying up, they need someone who can just consistently bag goals. Um, and frankly, coming from Burnley, I think there's no one better at grabbing <laughs> a goal in a cheeky little one nil win. Uh, so maybe they're pulling from the experts there. I think Newcastle just needs to start grinding out results if they have any hope of staying up. Um, and this was maybe not the most illustrious transfer, but a necessary one um, if they want really any chance of staying in the fight this season. Though I certainly, for the fee, for the figure I saw, which was 25 million pounds yeah. uh, activated for a release clause, um, I feel like maybe they could have dipped into the market elsewhere in another league maybe yeah. and gotten us a player with a little more raw talent as we might describe it. But at the same time, um, Chris Wood is probably a pretty safe bet given his Premier League experience. You know what you're getting, and uh, it'll be interesting to see if he can sort of pick them up a little bit. Yeah, I, I agree with you guys. And uh, at the expense of maybe um, spending too much time on Newcastle, let's move on to the African Cup of Nations. And uh, one game in particular, there's been some good results here. Nigeria did beat Egypt, Ivory Coast beat Guinea, but there's one game, and I'm sure everyone's seen the footage, everyone's seen the tweets about it, uh, Tunisia versus Mali uh, earlier today. First half was pretty uneventful. It ended nil-nil, but the second half was filled with action, with penalties, VAR decisions, referee calls. So uh, let's dive into it here for a second. Uh, Mali scored in the second half from a penalty. Uh, Tunisia got their own penalty and, and missed it. And then things kind of just went crazy. Uh, the last five minutes, I'm going to read out some, some, just some quick stats here. What happened? So around the 85th minute mark, the referee blows for full time. He then realizes what he's done and says, actually, I made a mistake. Let's restart the game. So the game restarts. In the 87th minute, he sends off a Mali player. VAR, who's now part of the AFCON tournament, too, says, you, you need to go look at this and, and pro- probably overturn it. He goes, takes a look at it, look at it and says, no, my decision's right. We're going to stick with this red card. <laughs> so he's now uh, sent off a player. And then within two minutes of this decision, says around the 89th, 90th minute, right before the 90th minute, actually, says, it's full time again. 
and calls it this time around. And, and the Tunisian coach players are all, all going crazy because they feel like they should have had at least another six minutes. The security has to escort the referee off the field. Then after about 20 minutes or so, news breaks that the game is about to restart because the referees have realized what has happened. <laughs> um, Mali accepted to come out. Tunisia said, no way, this is a disgrace and all of that stuff. So Mali win the game 1-0. Uh, but I'm hoping one of you can help me break down or, or just understand this bizarre situation. So Alex, I see you smiling. I'll, I'll let you start off. That. What that reminds me of is the uh, the iconic Premier League game where full time was announced and then Bruno Fernandes <laughs> scored a penalty after full time. Yeah. Um, due to a, a sort of another little VAR uh, intervention, um, I, I didn't watch it, so I can't really speak on it. But from the sound of it, that's uh, that is quite something. And maybe uh, Afcon refs are giving Concacaf <laughs> refs a run for their money in terms of. Uh, some seriously crazy decisions. Yeah, I, I thought we had a bad the Premier League, but this is this is taking it to a whole new level. Uh, Jackie, we grew up in Africa. I mean, we we'd heard about, and I'm not trying to say this is that this is what this was corruption, but we heard about certain events, and uh, it seems like the referee maybe under some pressure or something from external forces wanted this game to end one nil, and and eventually got it to. You know, we don't want to say that, but you have to imagine something's going on here, right? <laughs> the, the opportunity to blow the whistle five minutes before full time is strange in itself. And then re-kick off the game with, you know, VAR. And logically, as a as a guy on a big stage, you go, yeah, there's going to be three, four minutes at a time here, let alone right. six. Uh, and to blow it in the 89th minute with uh, 89 minutes and some seconds to go, it points to something fishy going on. If we don't want to say something fishy, Maybe the referee had a head injury. Again, I don't want to be rude, but it's just strange and bizarre. And, you know, as much as you want Tunisia to come out and finish the game, you can't help but feel bad for them of the short straw that they've been dealt. Now, I don't know what's going to happen of this, if Afghan's going to look into this further, uh, evaluate what happened to the referee, why he made these decisions. But it kind of puts a little bit of a, an embarrassing note on AFCON because it is a huge prestigious tournament. All of the big countries for Africa are out there trying to win something and bring pride to their country. And it's difficult to do that when there's a little bit of a stain like this happening. Yeah, you're, you're spot on. And it's going to be interesting if he even gets another game in the tournament, uh, yeah. the referee that is. So uh, good luck to Tunisia. Hopefully they can bounce back from, from this and uh, hopefully no more such events take place because it shines a light on the tournament, but in a very negative way. And, and that's, that's not what we want. Uh, so let's move on. We're all been waiting to talk about this and it's, it's the Carabao cup review, but before we do, uh, Jackie, I see you've got the Scorf X Scorf, uh, uh, new Jersey on, uh, want to talk to us about that for a second before we talk about Chelsea. Yeah, absolutely. It's the new model that he released or the new fan release that he came up with. Uh, Scorfx jerseys are really, really good quality, high quality jerseys. You can see all the embellishment that he's done here to do a custom logo, his logo as well. Uh, just for the sake of the podcast, I get up, but I've got Lukaku printed on the back of my shirt. So I know he's in a little bit of hot water now, but don't let that hold that shirt against it. He's, it's a great shirt to wear, very comfortable. Uh, and if you haven't got yourself one, I'm sure he's going to be doing some more releases soon. He most definitely is. And I think Alex is kind of partnering with him maybe on some future projects. I won't give it away, Alex, but uh, definitely a good guy, Scorf. Uh, and I'm actually wearing the first original jersey 
uh, and everything you said, quality is on, on point, and I'm sure the new one looks good here and feels good as well. So uh, let's move on here with the Chelsea versus Spurs second leg Carabao Cup. Uh, Alex, you want to run us through the starting 11? Sure. So we saw a slightly um, unconventional lineup, I suppose. Uh, as always, I feel like the pattern of the last few games especially have been uh, the pundits and the fans and the media and the uh, lineup apps and websites getting it all completely different how they think Chelsea's going to line up. I guess that shows that good old uh, super Thomas Tuchel is keeping us all guessing. Um, but we sort of came out in a 4-2-2-2 formation today. Shout out to uh, the supposed godfather of Thomas Tuchel and Jurgen Klopp, uh, Ralph <laughs> Rangnick, who is slightly struggling to implement that same system at Manchester United. Um, but we had Kepa Ariza Balaga in net, Malang Sar putting in a shift at left back, uh, Rudiger and Christensen at center back, Aspilicueta at right back, um, the Jovacic pivot in midfield, um, Hudson Adoy and Mount playing behind Timo Werner and Romelu Lukaku up top. Uh, so a strong lineup for sure. We were not taking this game for granted, though. A few little surprises. Certainly, I don't think many of us expected to see Saar at left back. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, when that news broke, I think even before the lineup came up, uh, everyone was kind of wondering what was going to happen. But Saar did, to his credit, did very well. And, and Jackie, I think uh, Alex touched on the fact that Tuchel's keeping everyone guessing. And you and I have spoken about how we're confused sometimes with what is going on. Uh, were you a little bit more clear on today's lineup? Not at all. I think it's, if anything to be said, I'm more confused than before, but that doesn't matter, right? At the end of the day, if the team he puts out is strong, if the players that are on the pitch understand what he's trying to do with the formation, I'm okay with it. At times it looked like a back four at times it looked like a back three. Uh, I didn't see the two, two, two that we're, that we're hearing that he played, but I'm sure in moments in the game, it did appear. It, it look, it's nice to have a fluid system. And I think, early on in the season, I wouldn't say we were critical of Tuchel, but we were wary of the fact that he wouldn't change. And having a fluid system like this is exciting. I think when you can play against an opponent that's, you know, coming on pressing you, you can sit back and almost go five. If you're going attacking, you can push some of your wing backs. In this case, Aspilicueta, I, I think I saw Sar up in the left wing at one position. So you can really push up and, and join the attack and help. And so, if we're fluid and we can get results with changing the formation, if I'm confused every game, so be it. Yeah, if, if we're confused and the opponents are confused, I think the results have been going the right way. So uh, long may continue. But let's start off with um, getting, Jackie, you got your prediction spot on here, 1-0. So um, good luck. I mean, good job on that. Uh, but let's talk about the, the just the start of the game. I, I honestly expected Spurs to come out like a house on fire, just trying to bulldoze us over a little bit. Um, Alex, did you see that in certain moments, maybe in the first five minutes, or were we just totally in control right from the beginning? Yeah, definitely. I saw Spurs look like they had some desire. I think we initially, um, we got a, a, a couple minutes on the ball maximum, and then there was a period of pretty sustained pressure um, we're taught and we're getting some corner kicks, getting some shots off, getting in and around our box. And I thought, okay, uh, we're struggling to sort of set up and, and sit back and sort of dominate the game, calm things down a little bit, which I'm sure was uh, 
more or less the game plan to really assert our control over the game. And ultimately, we did settle into that dominating possession, uh, really dictating the flow of the game. But Spurs came out definitely like they were looking for uh, an instant response, which they did need. The first goal was going to be crucial. Right. Um, and if they could have scored in that first opening 10-minute period, I mean, you're looking at 80-plus minutes to go with just one goal to get, and that's entirely doable. Um, I think Chelsea, though, weathered the pressure well. And once we'd sort of set back into a little bit of almost cruise control, it must be said, um, once we'd weathered that first storm, I think uh, destiny was pretty much decided. Uh, although, as I'm sure we'll discuss later, VAR maybe had to lend <laughs> destiny a helping hand once or twice. Yeah, you, you referred to destiny. I think Rudiger contributed heavily to that <laughs> destiny. So, Jackie, Rudiger scoring for a second time at Spurs this season. Uh is it time we just give him that contract, especially now that he's supposedly wants to stay? It's getting there. It really is getting there to a point where, you know, they, they're kind of not too far apart from what we're hearing in the media. Uh, of course, not too far apart for us, you know, regular folk is, is a big amount, but to them, you've you got to find a way to make things work, whether it's in bonuses, uh, whether they find a way to increase it or Rudiger gets a chance to do something else long-term, maybe, you know, he's 28, you might offer him a four-year contract that potentially ask him to stay as a coach in the future. There are many ways you could solve this, this conundrum here. And, you know, Rudiger is in a club that is the champions of Europe. They're challenging now in two cups. We're still in running for a Premier League. We're still in the Champions League. So it's not like there's lack of competition and lack of desire from the club. Someone at their prime is going to be playing high quality football for years to come. So, you know, if he can continue like this, which I can see realistically happening for a few more years, especially seeing Thiago Silva flourish, you may want to find a way to make this contract situation work. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And and they interviewed him after the game and he spoke about, I guess, I think he said the way he termed it was chapters in his career. Uh, and this chapter, he said, was was going way better than he could could have ever asked for. So uh, just on that, Alex, your thoughts on quickly on that Rudiger uh, contract situation. And, and it's really getting to a point where we should just kind of meet, mutually agree and, and move on. Yeah, I think definitely I've always been in favor of them agreeing the new contract. I think it's if anyone really does deserve a nice bump in the contract, it's him, especially looking at the wages we're paying some other players who frankly aren't currently as crucial uh, to our performances as Rudiger has been. But I think for, for whatever reason, I may be very wrong on this. From the very beginning, uh, I sort of thought this might be a little more media noise um, and sort of pressure uh, than a legitimate desire to end this Chelsea chapter, as it's been referred to. I've always sort of had this weird thought in the back of my head. I wish I could find where I, I first wrote it down in a comment somewhere, I think a month plus ago during the original uh real uh, media storm of the contract saga. I just have a weird feeling that he's probably going to stay because I think, especially given that we haven't gotten Tuchel his top targets um, in terms of new signings coming in, I think it would certainly be a disservice to a Champions League winning manager who's now just gotten us into his our fourth final since being here yeah. um, to not renew the contract of and find some way to make his current best players stay um, so I'm cautiously optimistic that hopefully this is a little bit of a smokescreen, a bluff, and things settle down. Chelsea eats their pride a bit. Rudiger accepts uh, an offer in the middle, um, and he he settles down. But uh, just touching on what 
Uh, Jackie was saying, I think, uh, hopefully he has, he takes Tiago Silva's model and goes further, but the coach Rudiger idea, um, that's, that's something that I like because having seen how he plays and the, uh, fire and passion he brings to each game, all I can say if we is if we get Rudiger in Cobham, we are going to be pumping out even better players than we are now. And that is saying something. I want to see a bunch of little mini Rudigers coming through the <laughs> every single year, ready to, uh, do a little bit of uh, fooling around during the games in addition to top tier performances. And, and look, beyond the, the scope of just coaching, he does have that steel that some of our other players necessarily don't want to show that side of themselves or are not ready to be a little more aggressive. And, and you do need that kind of aggression every now and then. The, the Chelsea, you know, of old, going back to maybe 2003, we've always had that one or two guys that are a little more aggressive than the others that just wake up the rest of the team. And he, and he does a good job of doing that. So uh, you guys have done a good job of summarizing it. Hopefully we can find a way to meet in the middle and, you know, close this, this chapter of the contract saga. Yeah. And, and hopefully the media can find something else to focus on too. Uh, staying on Rudiger, I think he scores a goal, puts us one nil up. That goal was very crucial in terms of how this game goes. Uh, Alex, you touched on VAR playing its role uh, in this game and one of those first decisions out of the three or four that ended up uh, going VAR ways uh, was a penalty call, which was clearly a, a tackle on the outside. The referee right away gives a penalty saying it's on the inside. Uh, VAR comes in and you can see from the replays that it's it's on the outside and it's a free kick eventually, but um what is going on with the referee? I mean, it's it, if it's not the main referee, there's still a sideline referee that can clearly see a tackle going on on the outside and they still give a penalty. And it seemed like not trying to take a page out of AFCON's book, but the referees here were trying to make this game a little more interesting than, than it was. So uh, quick thoughts on, on that first decision. And as we get into it, I'm sure you'll have more thoughts on VAR. Jackie, you want us? You want to go on that one? Yeah, it's an interesting situation, right? You start to think about. I'm not the biggest fan of VR. I've I've said that on many episodes, but you start to look at this decision, and I think even us as fans watching on a TV saw it and said, "A silly tackle from Rudiger. He doesn't always do that." But hey, it's outside the box. But you then see him call a penalty, and you're wondering, did we miss something? And so I think that's the beauty of VAR. If they make the right decision, they make it in a timely fashion, coming back and looking at it. But to answer your question about the referee, I, I don't know, Rahul. Maybe we give him the benefit of the doubt, but you'll come back and argue later on on some of the other decisions he's made. But uh, it's a fast movement. He's behind the play. Uh, the linesman saw the striker kind of drag his foot into the penalty box and maybe fall at that point in time. There are a lot of factors here. It's a tough one, but... If I, I'm not the biggest fan of VR, this is the way to win us over by doing the right things and making quick decisions at that point in time. Yeah, and making the right decisions. It's not like it's a 50-50 and it goes right. Chelsea's way. It was clearly a, a, a wrong call. So, yeah, exactly. um, Alex, I'll bring you into the second VR decision, which I think was a little more uh, clear, but the decision from the referee was a little more bizarre. So, second half start, Spurs, as you expect, would be better. Uh, they do release Lucas Moura into the box. He's kind of running down one-on-one -on -one with Kepa. Kepa, to his credit, comes out in time and, and gets the ball away from him. At that point, from watching that game, from watching the game in that instance, I never thought it was a penalty. But all of a sudden, you see the referee say penalty. 
And even the commentators are, are saying, what has he seen here? It goes to VAR, they clearly see it. But it, at that point, it just felt like Andre Mariner, who was the referee, was desperate and just wanted to give Spurs a goal in this game. Uh, so Alex, coming to you this time around, on, I guess on the first and the second VAR decision, what was going on? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was odd. It definitely was odd. And I think, as you said, when the commentators, the first time sort of the Chelsea fans obviously are going to say, oh, that's outside the box. But then you say, okay, whatever, let's look at the replay and see if we were right. We, You know, that that was a pretty close call. The correct one was made, luckily. Um, but the second one was just such a clear, clearly perfect challenge from the right. goalkeeper. Kepa quick off his line, perfect interception, um nowhere else on the pitch is that called a foul um I think it's just it's just the perfect example of a completely clean tackle that was visible to the naked eye from every observer to the commentators as you said there really was no doubt in anyone's mind except apparently the ref um though again it's on on the one hand I I see what Jackie's saying with not being the biggest fan of VAR though I also agree with the idea that you know what this is how it's supposed to be used so I feel like I'd feel a lot more hard done by if the referee were making those calls and there obviously wasn't something to overturn them. So as things stand, I would love for the referee to be getting it correct more often, especially when there's just no doubt in the mind of a commentator, of any fan, anyone remotely neutral uh, to the game would come up with the same idea. Um, But at the same time, if the referee gets the call wrong and VAR gets the call right and the referee looks at it, accepts it, and overturns it. I'm, I mean, who am I to complain? You know, you never know what, what type of angle the referee had. So for me, it's, if the right decision gets made, I'm happy. Um, and hopefully ideally that right decision is usually made with the referee so that the play can go on a little more quickly, but every ref is going to have off games. Uh, and I'm just glad that unlike some games, VAR didn't also seem to have an agenda against Chelsea <laughs> Because there have been certain games where we've had um, to to uh, call back one from, I believe it was last season or, or a season or two ago with good old Harry Maguire punting Batshuayi <laughs> in the, the crown jewels and uh, that not being reviewed by the VAR officials as a violent offense. Sometimes you just ask, what the heck are they doing? So I think this was a good application of the technology. Yeah, to... to- I was just going to say, today was a good day for VAR, at least from a Chelsea perspective. But even from a Spurs perspective, they were all clear decisions that were given wrongly and VAR rightly turned them around. Jackie, what were you going to add? Yeah, it's one thing I've noticed is that if you look at this four, five, six years ago, when VAR was not present, these calls were a little more refined. It's almost like these referees know that they have a backup sitting somewhere else. And so they're more inclined to make some of these decisions, specifically with the second one where it came out of nowhere. Uh, The referee may feel a little more empowered to say, I think that's a foul. Um, Four, five, six years ago, it's 90% not a foul. 10% is a foul. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to call it. Now it's like, even if I call it wrong, it's okay. Someone's going to back me up. And and, and I'm not trying to defend Andre Mariner here. I'm just trying to give you a devil's advocate of maybe how that's how they think these days. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that's kind of part of the reasoning and, and the decision-making, uh, but it just worries me that, like you said, three, four, five, six years ago, Spurs would now be 2-1 up, and this is a whole different game. So uh, like I tweeted, and I'm sure everyone felt it 
thank God for VAR today. <laughs> uh, but it gets, I guess, worse for us, but better for VAR because from that point on, you could see Spurs almost sensed that there was a goal to be here to be gotten here, uh, and so they started pressing us more. We, as we typically do, like to knock the ball around from the back, and and one such ball goes from Kepa to Jorginho, who gets pipped, uh, I think, by Hoiberg. It falls to Lucas Mora. And then that goes to Kane, and Kane scores as he typically does from inside the box. Uh, one one, and all of a sudden the crowd's up and everything. And all of a sudden, VR out of nowhere again says, Hold on, that's offside, and cancels the goal. So now that's a third goal that VR has chalked off for Spurs today. Uh, and Jack, you were asking, and I'm not trying to trying to expose you here, but you asked me, how's that offside? And honestly, I've seen a lot of people ask that question online. So basically, the way the rule is set up is they've got to be two players behind the ball uh, when an offside decision uh, is considered, at least in the attacker's favor. So this time, since Kepa stepped up and Kane was almost behind Christensen a little bit and Rudiger turned into the goalkeeper in this situation, it was given offside. So smart decision making from Kepa in in terms of stepping up and, and Rudiger to turn into a goalie. Um, but we really got lucky here. And, and apart from talking about VR, I would like to talk about the insistence of knocking it from the back uh, very often, especially when we've got Lukaku up top. So, uh, Jackie, your take on that situation, and, and sometimes maybe we just go long? I think I've said that now for the best part of a year. I know that the modern-day game... And, you know, modern day coaches such as Tuchel really believe to playing to foot. And when it works, it's brilliant. It's beautiful. You get out of tight positions and everybody's hunky-dory. But more often than not, we pin ourselves into a tight situation and we start to get panicky. And today we're saved, right? It's three overturned decisions. But it's not just with Kepa. It's with Mendy. It's with Bettinelli. We had seen it in... Uh, the, the FA Cup a few weeks ago where we knock it back and strikers are pressing and some strikers are getting smarter, they're getting faster and I for one, I'm happy if you pump it up top, Lukaku's a big man and look, even the guys that play around him, Pulisic, Mount Havertz, Werner, they're fast you can get a, a knockoff or somebody can get a, a lucky break and just run with it but if there's a moment to play at the back, you can do it but if you're feeling the pressure just knock it up top, reset, and we'll come back to it. Yeah, Alex, your take on obviously that whole situation, but maybe sometimes we just go long like it, like Jackie was kind of alluding to. Yeah, I think it's certainly come back to haunt us a few times, but at the same time, I don't, I'm not all too critical of it because clearly it is something about the way we want to play. Um, we've seen Frankly, I can actually remember more than a few instances in which Mendy has made similarly risky passes, uh, a little iffy on the distribution, maybe trying to do a first touch, low driven pass into one of the defenders and it just gets picked off. And most of the time, I, I can remember at least two or three instances when Mendy has actually made up for his own mistake with a good save. Here, Kepa steps up, tries to cover, ends up being offside. So I'm not really looking to judge anyone too harshly here. I think, as you guys have said, that's just sort of a byproduct of the modern game and the way Tuchel and many coaches today want to play. So it is what it is. Um, And probably for every few instances you have brilliantly getting out of pressure, there are going to be a few shakier moments. But um, all in all, it contributes to a a brand of, of football that I think we're all very happy to watch. So 
Uh, I'm not looking too deeply into it. And luckily, once again, VAR swoops in and makes the correct call, though um, I, I can say I, I understand why Spurs fans will feel hard done by, but I think even they could could agree just looking that VAR made the right decisions, even if it was a very unlucky day for them. Yeah, absolutely. We used up all our VAR credit, it seems, but hopefully there's more in the bank. Um, you touched on Spurs fans feeling hard done by, but eventually realizing that there was a difference in quality between just uh, the two teams over the two legs. And uh, overall, we deserved it. I think you both would agree. But Tuchel was unhappy with the performance today. So was that a fair criticism, at least from our perspective as fans? We're happy. We're going back to Wembley. But as a manager, he clearly saw certain aspects of the game that he wasn't happy with. So uh, fair criticism from him or is this just a tactic to keep everyone kind of grounded and, and focused on Man City coming up? Jackie. Yeah, I think it's a fair criticism. I've, I've got to be honest, watching the game as well, I always felt as though we had another gear, maybe two gears that we could get into. But it's kind of a historic thing with Chelsea players where they lose motivation sometimes. We, we, we know Savi most recently had used the word motivation a lot where we almost knew the job was done and we didn't want to risk an injury or, you know, tie ourselves out, which I completely respect as a, as a footballer. I, I want to be there for the next game. I want to be there for the finals that we're going to play. And so I don't necessarily want to go from first gear to third gear in a game that's done and dusted, but uh, knowing the quality of Tuchel and of course, in any great coach, you, you want to dominate a game and you want to control the game. Do I think he's going to take too much out of this? No, but I think, having those words or, or hinting those words in the media is almost like a reminder to his players. Like you were in gear one and you got the job done. Imagine if you were in gear two, three, maybe you would have finished three nail in the first half. And then you can go back into gear one and, you know, still have that professional performance. So I think it's a fair criticism, but I don't think it's going to go too far beyond this. Yeah. Alex, your, your thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's not, not the end of the world at, you know, we came in with a two goal cushion and after a, a slightly, I mean, not, I wouldn't say nervy, but after a, a pretty high pressure start, um, we definitely just sort of settled in and, and got the job done. The gap in quality was clear. Um, we had a few potentially dangerous moments saved by VAR making the correct decision for us, but I'm, I'm not worried too much about it. Uh, the lineup was unconventional as well. I, it wasn't anything, uh, obviously Chelsea has quality players all over the pitch, but um, you could have made the, better part of a, a top tier starting 11 with players just left out. Um, so I think it's, it is what it is. The job got done. Um, and I'm, I'm glad Tuchel's not fully satisfied because I agree. We could have had a little more out of that game. We could have approached it with a little, um, a little more heat maybe, but I mean, going through three nil aggregate cruise control into another final. Um, and now with a very, very big clash against man city on the horizon, I, I have nothing bothering me about that. All right, let's, you mentioned quality all over the pitch. Let's move to the front end of the pitch with Lukaku and Timo Werner uh, at starting as an attacking duel. Uh, something we want to see again. We've seen it in the past. It hadn't clicked too well, at least at the beginning of the season. We saw it again in the uh, Champions League game away to uh, Zenit. Both players scored, and we've seen it again here. Uh, Jackie, something you want to see again, two players that could maybe benefit from each other? Yeah, not opposed to it at all. I think that you've got to play to each other's strengths. And I think in, we talked a lot about modern football in the traditional sense of football. I was used to seeing a big striker with a 
a smaller, pacier striker next to him. And it seems to always work wonders. Now, of course, that's kind of evolved over the years, even with Chelsea now over the last year or so, we've been playing with a false nine. But why not add that to our weapons? Why not have something different on a different day where, like we said, Tuchel's keeping us guessing? I'd be happy to see it again as long as we... Uh, you said it's not clicked. I think it still needs some refinement to fully click, but th- there's some flashes of brilliance there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Alex, something you'd like to see, maybe at the expense of Pulisic not playing since uh, we're going with two forwards? I think it's it's an interesting combo. I do value the fluidity of our forwards because we've got a lot to pick from, and it, it is difficult. Um, I think sometimes people see it as a strength versus a weakness, you never really know how to look at a team that doesn't necessarily have a nailed on strongest 11. Um, in this case, I would say it's probably a good thing that we've got enough quality to give some selection headaches. Um, at times I do find myself wishing, you know, I, it would be really nice if we could go into a, uh, the, a game we know is absolutely crucial and have more or less an entire starting 11 of players that we know are going to perform the very best, have great chemistry together, do their jobs, complement each other. Um, but I mean, that's, that's a little still in the works. COVID fitness issues are really making it tough for any one team to get to really gel and get a lot of chemistry. We saw, as, as we've alluded to many times, our two arguable best performers from early in the season, our wingbacks, who, were, who had developed some incredible, uh, incredible form are suddenly out and then you're you're out pushing wingers back into wing back you're pushing center backs out wide it's just a very difficult period especially with the busy fixtures the uh, dreaded month of december i can't i can't really be complaining too much about whatever tuchel selects because it's a tough it's a tough period but the job's getting done the players are putting in the work um and i'm glad we have the flexibility all over the pitch i i agree and and like you said, with all the issues that we've had in the last month, we've still performed and done pretty well and lost only one game. So you've got to give credit to the squad and Tuchel. Uh, there's a fan question here from a regular listener, uh, Dondilla410. Uh, he wants to get our thoughts and, and most likely Alex's thoughts here on uh, Pulisic's, Pulisic's future at the club. And I'm guessing this is coming from the fact that we kind of expected him to play today. He didn't play. Um, Alex, do you see an issue here? He's played a lot recently. He's played everywhere pretty much on the pitch apart from goalie. Uh, is there an issue here or is just him being rested and maybe preventing him from picking up an injury? I, I mean, I, I mentioned this in a comment as well. I don't think today changed my outlook on anything. I think today's game, um, a selection had to be made. It frankly wasn't even the highest stakes game, I would say, given the right. gap in quality. I think most of us expected to get the job done against Spurs as we did. Um, so looking at today, I almost thought, well, this means Pulisic starts probably against Manchester City on the weekend. Now, knowing how things have gone, there's no guarantee that's true. There's also no guarantee where he starts if he does. Um, and it's, it's a tough time. Um, it's not easy when you're a, a natural creative winger, you're used to having the ball at your feet, getting in good positions to go forward. And then suddenly there's an injury crisis, there's COVID and your coach says, be a defender. Uh, it's, you, you understand why maybe there's a little frustration all around from fans, from the coach, from the player. Um, I'm, I'm still sort of maybe naively clinging to some optimism and thinking, you know what, we saw Pulisic, uh, 
put in some good shifts at wing back, obviously nowhere near his natural position. Um, but then we started him left wing. Um, and after, after one moment where he maybe should have scored, he took a brilliant goal and was quite dangerous uh, for the majority of the game against Liverpool, who he seems to really enjoy playing against. I think there's, there's just consistent evidence that Polisic in a forward position with consistent minutes brings dynamism and results to our attack. And that I, I think it's, I would be more worried if this wasn't an injury and COVID created crisis, because then I'd say, Ooh, he's really not getting any good attacking minutes. Um, I want to see his link up with these players. I want to see how he plays off Lukaku. I want to see if he can, um, reignite that front three I think we had a some really good chemistry last season with Polisic Havertz Mount uh, tearing it up for a few games um, but honestly it's just so tough to judge and that's where it's tough for me to separate my uh, appreciation for Polisic as a player and my desire to see him playing from my understanding of the Chelsea side of things which is this is a, a crazy period games every few days multiple each week serious injuries to some of our best players COVID ripping through every pretty much every Premier League team, uh, apparently hitting uh, Liverpool and Klopp extra hard before tough matches, <laughs> we must uh, add. But I, I can understand why it's a tough time, and I'm, I'm almost suspending judgment and hopeful that when the smoke clears a little bit, he's getting some more minutes at left wing because that is where we know he's dangerous. And, and that's, I think, where we all want to see him. But wherever he plays, we, we know he does a good good job and puts in a shift. Uh, Jackie, you want to add anything to that? Any, uh, can you maybe calm Dundilla down and, and, and let him know that Pulisic's not going anywhere? Yeah, no, honestly, Alex summarized it really well. I think, you know, all the things he said about Pulisic are true. He's, he's playing in an out of position, but you've got to mention that Tuchel has actually praised him and has credited him for playing out of position. You've touched on right wing back, left wing back, sometimes in the middle. I think Rahul, you had touched on, he even played center back almost at one point, uh, false nine. And Tuchel himself feels for Pulisic because he knows it's not his natural position. But something about the fact that a coach can call on you and put you in these different positions. And yes, you're not going to have a world-changing game every time out of position, but he puts in a good shift and he's called upon again to play right wing back, left wing back, false nine. It means that they do see value in Christian Pulisic having these different abilities. And, you know, for Dundilla, in my opinion, I think Christian Pulisic and Chelsea are a good match. Chelsea have a lot of tough uh, players in these positions that he has to fight for. And that's only going to make him a better footballer overall because he's going to constantly want to step up his game to say, I am going to get in ahead of Kai Havertz. I am going to get in the team of I'm going to get in ahead of Hakim Ziyech. I know Mason Mount kind of is, is pushing his way to almost be a start every week, but I can fight these guys off, become a better footballer. And, and at the end of the day, guys, there's a lot of football that Chelsea plays all season wrong. And so while I want to see Christian Pulisic play 70 games a season, realistically for his health and for his body and for his fitness, it's okay to see him play maybe half of those games at the highest level that he can. Yeah. And, and he, again, he's only 23. He's only been here for, I think this is his third full season in all of that. He's, there's been a COVID there's been everything that Alex has mentioned. So I think um, he's here to stay. And and as long as Tuchel's here, I think he's going to use him in all those multiple positions, but ideally in that left wing position. Uh, final question here, before we move on to the premier league is, 
Uh, we've made it to the final, uh, Carabao Cup final at the end of February, but there is a small matter of who do we play. So, uh, Alex, Arsenal or Liverpool, who's your pick? I think um, I was talking to my friend uh, about this earlier. I think probably while Arsenal somehow seemed to be able to come from being crap and pull something <laughs> out of nowhere on occasion, I think over two legs, you have to favor Liverpool. Um, there's just no real way I can see that they let that one slip, but I'd, I'd almost in a weird way uh, rather play Liverpool. Um, I feel like we have some kind of weird juju with uh, <laughs> Arsenal lately. Um, it, but, but at the same time, at the same time, I think it would be a sweet feeling to be frankly, either team. Um, I, I don't really, I don't really care who we face because you know what I have, I have full trust in, in Tuchel and the boys. I think they'll get it done. Um, but I would expect us to be facing Liverpool though, you know, uh, getting a little bit of, uh, cup final revenge against Arsenal will be a sweet feeling. So I, I wouldn't mind that either. It, it absolutely would. And hopefully Anthony Taylor isn't the referee in the, in the final. Uh, Jackie, Liverpool without Mo Salah, Mane, uh, Keita taking on Arsenal, basically back-to-back uh, in, in the Carabao Cup. Do you think it's Liverpool or do you think it's Arsenal in the final? It's quite possible Arsenal can pip Liverpool. I think, you know, in any big game, even clubs that have not come off a good result, of course, Arsenal in the FA Cup, can almost raise their performance. You know, Liverpool are a wonderful club, but you've got to understand the value that Mohamed Salah and Mane have brought to them, especially in the front line. So it's going to be very, very difficult. On a personal level, who would I would like to play? I'd love to play Liverpool in the final. It gives me vibes of 2004, 2005 season, where that was our first major trophy that almost springboarded us to do something different. I'm not saying we're going to go off and win Premier Leagues or Champions League, but it's just nice to have you know, a, a good silverware tournament early on in the season. And then from there, it really helps you build off. And speaking of early on in the season, we have the potential of winning two trophies in February. So uh, hopefully we can end February with as World Club champions and as Carabao Cup champions. Uh, but let's move on to the Premier League. And uh, we've had a little bit of a break in the Premier League, but it's back now. And uh, before we get into the City game, uh, we do want to do something fun. Hopefully we can kind of uh, have a quick debate here about what who makes the team of the season so far for us. So uh, I'll start with goalkeeper and and we can pick uh, from a handful of names here. Obviously, Edward Mendy has to be in the running. Uh, Ederson, Allison, Ramsdale, who nobody thought would be in, in this group, but he's here. And then uh, Jose Sa from Wolves. So um, quickly, Jackie, who are you going with and why? I'd go with Ramsdale. I think that, you know, he was almost pipped as a failure for this season. There were a lot of confusion, a lot of concerns over 30 million for potentially a backup goalkeeper, but it looked like Arsenal had a plan from Mikel Arteta had a plan from he's good with his feet and he's actually second in the Premier League with clean sheets just behind Ederson. So he's, he's had a good half season so far. I mean, Ederson's excellent. Mandy, of course, is amazing. But I think based on some of the things I've said, Ramsdale, for me, is is going to make it into that team. Alex, any disagreements? Um, we, I think, had said Ramsdale has gotten relegated the last two seasons. So uh, pretty good for him to come in and, and make a name for himself again at Arsenal. 
Yeah, I think he's certainly he's certainly who would be my pick as well. Obviously, I think I rate a player like Mendy above Ramsdale, um, but it has to be said in terms of the expectations um, and maybe how he's elevated sort of uh, Arsenal's position. Um, I think he's been a big upgrade to them. I think it's difficult to argue. Uh, I mean, an argument could be had in terms of some of the actual quality that's been on, on show. I think there have been a few goalkeepers really doing well, but um, I think Ramsdale's a perfectly fair choice for a player who's come in and really made a serious impact to a side that desperately needs some needed some inspiration. Um, I think he's come in and, and been a very positive force for them. He definitely has been good. And, and I can agree with you guys. He can, he can be the goalkeeper in this team. So um, I guess for the sake of this team, we'll go with the four, three, three, just to keep things simple. Uh, I will skip over the right back position for now, uh, just because I think it will lead to uh, a good debate. But let's go into the center back positions. I know Rudiger, Thiago Silva from our side, we've, we've said they've been excellent all season. Ruben Diaz, I think, is always up there. Uh, Van Dyke, another name that you can think of for, for center back. Uh, any other names you guys want to throw in and who would be your two to be uh, center backs here, Alex? For me, Rudiger's got to be in there with just how well he's doing. Um, and probably, I think... As much as I, I, I'm not sure, no, no defender to me has gone on an absolute tear of being like an unstoppable world-beating type. Um, we've had several world-class defenders on show. Um, I think Rudiger's performed very well on the whole. And I, I'd say maybe Ruben Diaz um, in terms of just helping uh, take Man City to the very dominant position they're currently in in the table. Um, I think he, he was, even if, even if I, I believe he was a little bit overrated in some of the awards he won last year, I think he's undeniably quite uh, top class and he's been showing his class again this season. So for me, I'd go uh, Rudiger and Ruben Diaz. Yeah. Jackie, would you agree or, or would you want to replace one of them? No, I think I, I 100% agree with Alex there. It's difficult to leave Thiago Silva out, but I think in the interest of trying to keep things realistic, to keep things fair, balanced, uh, Alex summarized it well. I don't think any of these names have been unstoppable all season long, but I think the key word for me is consistency. And for Rudiger and Ruben Diaz, they've been pretty consistent. And you can tell by you know first and second place in the Premier League. Of course, Big Van Dyke is in there as well. He's had a little bit of challenges with his partnership there. And I think for those reasons, I'm going to agree with Alex on, on Diaz and Rudiger. All right, let's move on to left back. So we have uh, Cancelo, obviously. We have Robertson from Liverpool. We have Ben Chilwell from, from Chelsea, if you'd want to throw him in there. Uh, and then I've, I've put in this guy here, uh, Cucurella from Brighton, a uh, young left back who's come in and played left back, left wing back and done pretty well for them. So uh, let me hear your pick, Jackie, here for left back and uh, why are you going with this player? Yeah, I wish Ben Chilwell was fit because, you know, him starting off the season on the bench, working really, really hard to tell Thomas Tuchel, I'm going to be your number one, even though I'd finished last season as your number one. And then potentially becoming one of our top scorers in between just from left wing back was amazing. But with the injury and then, of course, not starting several games in the beginning of the season, for me, it has to be Cancelo. I think he offers so much coming from that left wing back or left back position. 
uh, Pep Guardiola has found a way to almost inject him into midfield where he's providing assists and he's helping defensively. And so I think based on all those things, Cancelo for me is, is the clear runner over here. Yeah, and he, when he first came in, wasn't first choice. I think he's worked his way in. So uh, definitely the hard work has paid off. Alex, would you agree with Cancelo as well? Definitely. I don't think there's much of an argument there. He's been right in the, uh, until a very unfortunate injury to Reese James, he was right in the Trent Cancelo Reese James debate. Uh, we can say in terms of all three almost seeming to outdo each other every week, one would score a beautiful goal. The other would have three beautiful assists. The other would keep a brilliant clean sheet of, so it's, it was just impressive watching all three of those world-class uh, fullbacks uh, just continually bring the goods every week. Um, so unfortunate uh, that Chilwell uh, for the left side, obviously, and Reese James on Chelsea's right uh, had some untimely injuries, but uh, Cancelo has got to be up there for me. So that's definitely my choice. Yeah. And you mentioned two players, Trent and Reese. So I think let's talk about that right back position. Um, I, Cancelo could have played there too, but since he's at left back, I think our two real choices here would be Trent and or Reese. Um, so I'll start with you, Alex. Who are you going with, and why? This is a very tough one. I mean, there's obviously the Chelsea bias in me would say would say Reese James. I would say if he'd, I, I don't know, if he'd been able to just not miss a couple crucial games, he might be able to keep up with Trent's stat padding, which must be <laughs> say is is it is impressive how Trent consistently just delivers the goods. He is the uh, and I've always said, you know, comparisons between Reese James and Trent, that's not disrespectful to Trent. That shows that he is the benchmark for a world-class modern fullback. Um, and even though I personally, uh, even if it's by a small margin, rate Reese James's versatility and the balance to his play, his defensive abilities uh, in combination with his attacking abilities above Trent, who I think is a little more attack focused, uh, it has to be said that once again, Trent has just consistently delivered. I think he's got something like five or six man of the match awards, um, nine. He's the assist leader in the Premier League, nine assists. Honestly, Chelsea bias aside, I rate Reese James more highly as the player personally, um, but I'll go with Trent, even if it's been slightly influenced by the fact that he did not have an unlucky, uh, untimely injury like Reese James did. Yeah, I, I have some thoughts on that, but I'll let Jackie go first. Um, Trent or Reese, or is there someone else that you would like to throw in? No, no, I think, you know, again, looking at the Premier League, looking at the top two teams, it makes sense, uh, you know, that those two are in there because Cancelo would have been in that mix, but obviously he's that left wing back. It's a tough one and it hurts me because I think overall, as a complete footballer, I think Reese James pips Trent all day long and I think he's going to continue to pip Trent for years to come and, and eventually he's going to be probably one of the world's best right backs and, and that's a lot of praise to heap on a young man at this point in his career but you know just like Alex has reiterated I think missing a couple of key games on fitness wise and you have to give credit where credit's due Trent is similar to Cancelo in that way of he finds a way to find himself in midfield provide those assists yes he lacks defensively and that's where this is kind of a toss-up but I think just based on the amount of games I'm going to have to give it to Trent to make it into this half team of the season so far but hey if Reese can come back soon and, and make a good comeback maybe we'll talk about the full team of the season and we'll drop Trent at that point in time 
hopefully so, because my pick here is Reese, but since I'm outnumbered by two to one, um, we will put Trent, but I, I, I would go with Reese just on the fact that um, I'd need someone to be able to defend and attack on that right uh, back position. But let's get into midfield. So we have three positions here um, in no particular defensive midfield. We'll just say three center midfielders. Um, there's a lot of options here. We've got Rice, Gallagher, Bernardo Silva. We've got Rodri. We've got maybe Jorginho in there. We've got Bissouma. We've got maybe Fred in there based on the last few weeks or even uh, the second half of the season uh, in terms of the first half. Um, so I'll, I'll open it to you guys. You can give me your three for that for those positions and um, we'll see how we end up. So Jackie, you want to start us off? Yeah, I'm definitely not putting Fred in there. I'm, it was <laughs> high praise from you to add Fred's name into that mix. Uh, decent footballer, but I think just based on the season overall, I don't think he's going to make it in there. For me, you know, a big name is Bernardo Silva. I know that in the beginning of the season, he was talking about leaving, maybe not enjoying his football as much or not having the best output, but whether he's playing in a different position or he and Pep Guardiola have settled differences, I don't know what it is, but Bernardo Silva looks like a game changer this season. And that's something to be said, right, Rahul? Because you've talked about Rodri, there's, you've not even mentioned Kevin De Bruyne, you know, right. Gundogan, they have an immense midfield and... Bruno Silva seems to, I apologize, Bernardo Silva seems to be performing week in, week out and, and showing up. And so for that reason, I'm going to have to put him in there. I don't find a way to squeeze a Chelsea guy in the midfield just yet. I would love to throw N'Golo Kante in there, but due to some injuries uh, and inconsistencies there, I think I have to leave him out. But I'm going to find a way to squeeze a Chelsea boy in there. And so for me, Conor Gallagher is a man that's having a season to remember. And there was a lot of talk about Chelsea calling him back, but he's going to finish off the season here and uh, goal scoring, you know, passing assist. He's just, everything flows through him at Palace. He's really thriving there. And so for that reason, I think he has to make it into my half team of the season. And again, speaking of Chelsea, maybe a Chelsea ex boy to, to level this attacking talent here. Maybe Declan Rice uh, gets a call. He's, he's one that hasn't always got the love just because of the type of position he plays in, but I try and stick Declan Rice in there. And and you've somehow managed to still bring Chelsea into it, so I'm I'm okay with those three. Uh, Alex, do you have any arguments, or are you you good with those three as well? I personally I, I like those picks for sure. Um, now, given given sort of my bias and the fact that I think, um, the fact that I think I'd be willing to shift this formation around a little bit. I would try to sneak a Chelsea guy in there uh, in the form of Mateo Kovacic, who's only played uh, 13 games this season, obviously could have a few more under his belt. But in that time, he's had outstanding ratings. He's completely dominated the midfield. Um, and people, uh, I think we've always seen his talent with ball progression, with dribbling. Um, there was a consistent criticism of his lack of, of end output this season. So far, he's got five assists in the premier league and two goals. One of which was an absolute stunner against Liverpool uh, in our most recent game. This was definitely, um, definitely not a lock type of pick, but given I will admit my Chelsea bias and the fact that I've, I've watched Kovacic this whole season, for me, he makes it in there. Um, and I think, though, obviously, all the other names you mentioned have been outstanding. So 
I'm personally going to pull a leaf out of Pep Guardiola's book and start playing players in absurd positions. Maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe we'll call that the Guardiola Tuchel book now, but uh, I'm going to put Bernardo Silva up as a center forward false nine uh, where he has played. It's funny looking at just his, his stats sheet. Um, he's listed as playing as a center mid primarily, but also a left wing, right wing striker, center forward, cam and CDM Bernardo Silva. If we're talking, uh, mentioning Christian Pulisic earlier as a versatile player, Bernardo Silva is, is right up there. Um, but for me, I'm, I'm putting Bernardo up at false nine and I'm going with the same midfield three um, because I think Rice and Gallagher have had outstanding seasons, but Mateo Kovacic has been outstanding uh, whenever he's played. That's actually a great shout. And, and I think our striker position is kind of up in the air. So maybe Jackie, we can rearrange things here and, and make it an old Chelsea midfield uh, but let's let's move into the attack, and uh, I don't think there's anyone else on left wing uh, apart from Mohamed Salah. Uh, I don't think I'll get any dis- disagreements here. Uh, in strike, are we going with Bernardo Silva, or is there anyone else, Jackie, that you would like to to bring in? Yeah, look, there have been a lot of players that have contributed to their team's success so far this season. Diego Jota, who is another false nine type player, has got 10 goals so far this season. Uh, Jamie Vardy consistently up there in, in the running for Golden Boot. One player that surprised me, and, and I think I'd like to put his name into the mix, is Mikel Antonio, just based on his story with West Ham as eventually starting as, a, a, I think, a right back, right. eventually moving into right wing. And now David Moyes has transformed him to this almost Drogba-esque. I don't mean to disrespect Drogba or Mikel Antonio, but almost a Drogba-esque big physical guy leading the line and and he's up there in the, in the goal scoring charts as well. And so for those reasons, I'd like to maybe stick him in there and go with a more traditional striker. That's another good shout. So uh, I guess I have to be the deciding vote between Bernardo Silva or Antonio. Um, I, I on, Antonio had a good start to the season. Don't get me wrong. He's been good in, in most games, but I think Bernardo Silva has influenced more games by scoring and, uh, doing things that you don't really expect him, at least at, at false nine. So I'm going to give him the nod there. Um, and then that brings us to the right wing position. So I was trying to think of who could potentially be a right winger in this squad. Um, I know the shots for Phil Foden, and he's a good player, but I, I personally don't think I've seen enough of him this season to say he makes it. Uh, so hopefully you guys can help me. And, and if it's Pulisic, Alex, it's, we can go with that. It's a, it's a Chelsea podcast after all, but uh, let's hear your pick. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, it, it's a tough one. I think in depending on, depending on how, you, how you work the formation, uh, you could be pretty flexible. So at the risk of looking like Pep Guardiola in a Champions League knockout tie here, I would say you could have quite the fluid, uh, the fluid front three if you had Salah, who obviously can play either wing, often strong on the right, but then you also had Diogo Jota, I have to say, um, has had quite a good season, um, stepping up and, and really sort of showing that he's, frankly, Liverpool's number one striker. Um, Ten goals so far in 19 matches. He's got an assist as well. Um, and he's one who played left wing, I believe, at Wolves he Wolves, came from. Yeah. Um, and but he's played a little bit of left wing this season too, but um, he can also fill in at striker. So honestly, I don't think that does anything to help us uh, help us decide. But I would say um, 
I mean, I don't even know what I would say. I, I would say I've, I've caused you guys enough selection headaches by trying <laughs> to shift Bernardo out of his, his main position. So that's, that one's up to you guys. If you want to pitch in for the rest of the attack. Jackie, you, I'm, I'm good with Jota being in that squad just because he's been influential and in, in scored goals ultimately, which is what you want an attacker to do. Yeah. Look, Jota has been incredible. I mentioned him earlier. I think, it's one of those situations where he plays in a team full of quality. And so naturally I would expect him to perform, but, but a player that's playing in a team that isn't necessarily performing so well, but is he's punching above his weight. And that's Rafinha for me. I think Rafinha has had a very good season so far. They always mentioned him last year as a diamond in the rough. We didn't always get to see him, but this season Rafinha has really kind of stepped up his game there's a lot of talk of Bayern Munich trying to make a, an offer. There was even Chelsea links with Rafinha during the midseason because he does play on those positions we're looking at. Uh, I think he has eight or nine goals so far this season for a team like Leeds that's struggling at this point in time. So for me, Rafinha is a good option to slot into the wing there. And from a Premier League half team of the season, I think it allows for some of these other clubs that don't always get the recognition to have a player making it into that squad. That's that's a fair argument. So I don't know how we decide. Maybe we open it up to our listeners and, and our followers and, and maybe have them finalize this team for us. So we'll throw it up there. I guess the choices here are Jota or uh, Rafinha or maybe a third player that we haven't spoken of and, and they'd like to throw in. Uh, only thing I would say is try to keep your Chelsea bias out of it uh, and let's see let's see what they come up with. But uh, good team, guys, and let's talk about the Premier League game this weekend, which is against Man City, an early Saturday morning kickoff. Uh, they did beat us earlier this season at the bridge, uh, so it's time for some revenge. Uh, and we won this fixture last year, uh, if you remember, towards the end of the season with a pretty much last-minute goal from Marcus Alonso. So um, it'd be nice to go back up there and get the win because we are setting 10 points behind them in the table uh, and so this hopefully is the start of us making a comeback uh, into the title race uh, they did have city did have a covid outbreak last week but it seems like after seven days most of those players and staff will be back available um, just going to read off some city fixtures from the last five games in the premier league 2-1 win versus arsenal 1-0 win against brentford 6-3 versus leicester 4-0 versus Newcastle, and 7-0 versus Leeds. So they've been in red-hot form like they usually are in December. On the other side, Chelsea, 2-2 against Liverpool, 1-1 against Brighton, um, 3-1 against Villa, 0-0 against Wolves, and 1-1 versus Everton. So kind of uh, not losing games, but not picking up maximum points. So let's get into a predicted 11 and... Uh, Tuchel's been keeping us guessing. Hopefully you guys won't keep me guessing if you're going with the back three or four. But Alex, you want to give us your take on who starts this game? Yeah, I would say uh, certainly we, we have Kepa and Net, who I have no issue with. I've always uh, been a pretty big advocate for him because I think he's come a long way since this sort of rough patch. And under Tuchel, he's been nothing but quality. Um, and yeah, I, I just looking at some of the picks we've got here, Rudiger, I think, picks himself. I think Tiago Silva, uh, obviously his age and fitness is always a factor in terms of recovery time, but if he's available, I think he's got to go in. Um, and I see we've got Chalaba here. I think he's, he's a good pick. Um, 
Alonzo has to be our left wing back because I'm not relegating uh, Cho or Pulisic to that <laughs> position uh, for this lineup. And I think personally, I would love to see a Conte Kovacic uh, midfield for this game. Um, obviously, we've been, we saw like today, Conte came in as almost more of an impact sub type player. I just think even when you look back at, say, the Champions League final, the stuff N'Golo Conte can do to nullify an extremely dangerous Manchester City attack is just invaluable. Um, and personally, I love Jorginho. I think he could, he could and maybe will start. Um, but personally, I wouldn't, be, uh, I wouldn't be against having him maybe come in a little later to settle the game down. Um, I can see City coming out of the blocks fast. And Jorginho definitely isn't maybe the paciest. Sometimes he can get caught on the ball a little bit. Um, I think he maybe does a little better when we're dictating the play right from the beginning. Um, so for me, it's got to be Conte Kovacic in midfield. Um, and Azpilicueta, right wing back, we're again, very short on options there. As for a front three, assuming we are going with this sort of three, four, three, or, you know, call it, call it whatever you want. But if we're going with three up top as well, I've got to be pulling for Pulisic to get another left wing start after, a very promising showing versus Liverpool and then not getting any minutes today. I'd like to think of that as being uh, rested for a big performance against city. Um, I think Mason Mount again, almost picks himself at this point uh, on the opposite flank. And then up top, that one's really a toss up because we've seen, we've seen Kai Havertz, obviously uh, he's had quite the iconic moment against city. And yet you also see how dangerous Timo Werner can be in conjunction with another striker stretching the back line. And uh, even if he wasn't necessarily too impressive today, Romelu Lukaku is a, a born goal scorer. Um, so for me, striker is really the big question. And maybe unfortunately that does push uh, Pulisic or even Cho out of the, out of the wing um, simply because we have to accommodate Lukaku and Kai or Timo um, but personally for me it's Mount Polisic and somebody but please God score some goals whoever it is up top <laughs> please God score some goals the famous <laughs> words Jackie um, are you going with the back three here are you going to do something different I think in the first game against City Tuchel tried a 3-5-2 I believe and, and that didn't work so back to basics here no, I actually do think he'll go back to a 3-5-2 and kind of fit players in that way. I think he likes to flood the midfield. And so I, I kind of agree with all of the players that Alex has selected. I think just in the midfield, he'll actually start Jorginho Kante and Kovacic, all three of them to flood that midfield. And up top, I think you guys have highlighted Mount. He kind of picks himself just because of his work rate. Again, adding to the fact that we're playing City. And I think you've got to give Ruben and whether it's Emmerich Laporte or uh, John Stone, somebody big to handle. So I think Romelu Lukaku will start up there, but I think that means he's going to save the likes of Callum and Pulisic to come on in that 55, 60 at minute to then try and run havoc on hopefully what's a tired Manchester city defense by then, but knowing them, they're ever so fit, ever so strong, but hopefully trying to play the three, five, two and flood them out. will keep us at bay. And then from there we hit them on the counters. Yeah. I mean, I, since Tuchel's come in, I think we've handled Man City a lot better than we had uh, previously, and, and that's clearly seen in the results, apart from the one earlier this season. Um, I also think he is going to have some variation of two forwards up top. 
uh, with Mason Mount maybe behind them doing doing the hard work. So it's going to be an interesting one. And, and like you said, City have been rested. Their last game uh, was in the FA Cup last week. But obviously with the COVID outbreak, a lot of their starters were missing. Uh, so it's going to be a tough one. And it, it gets if it's City win this one, it's really the title race is, is done. And it's really uh, going to be down to us for, for the Cups. But Let's get some score predictions. And before I get that, I have one prediction that I'd like to ask you guys. How or what minute do the champions of Europe chants break out from the Chelsea fans? So, Alex, I see you smiling. Um, it's just a fun prediction, but I'm, I'm guessing we don't even have to wait for the game to start. They'll be singing loud and, and clear. Free kickoff. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> I agree, too. Jackie, I'm sure you feel the same way. Close, I'll give it about three minutes before we get antsy and just <laughs> let it loose on them so they understand who the champions of Europe are. Yes, so uh, let's do the score predictions. I think it's crucial again, Alex, you were talking about getting the first goal against Spurs. I think getting the first goal in this game will be equally important because it will basically set the tone for uh, what we do and, and how we play. So let's get your prediction, Alex. Yeah, I think this is going to be a tough game, no doubt, but I, I have confidence in Thomas Tuchel, especially um, even against an opponent as as skilled and as dangerous and in as good form as Manchester City. I think Chelsea can always turn up. Uh, sometimes we don't turn up when we need to, but I think sometimes uh, even if that form isn't quite aligned and we had a little bit of difficulty in December, I think we come out and get the result. I'd go 2-1 because it's difficult to see us keeping a clean sheet against Manchester City, but you know, with I, I have full confidence that we can approach this game and still try to play our very best. I don't think we're going to be hopefully uh, bending over and, and letting them just sort of dictate the flow of everything. I think hopefully we come out, play our game, and it's at the very least a very competitive one. Uh, I'm going for a one-goal win uh, with a 2-1 scoreline. And it's always going to be nervy against City. So 2-1, as nervy as it is, it's still a win. So um I'll, I'll take that jackie what's your prediction i'm going for honors even i think that manchester city and chelsea will potentially cancel each other out just two wonderful coaches that are tactically always thinking i'm going for a nil nil you got your prediction right today i hope you don't get this one right <laughs> um I'm, I'm gonna go for a three one i think uh, whenever we need a result we get one uh whether that's rudiger's antics or or um, us just pulling ourselves up for the game. Uh, so I think a 3-1, and, and that will be a good way to set us up for the rest of the month and the rest of the year. So uh, fingers crossed, and hopefully we get the job done and cut this lead down to seven points and then pray that Liverpool, Man United, Spurs uh, can can get results against City and we can stay uh, stay in there in the title race. But it's been a long episode, guys. It's been a fun one. We've covered a lot. Uh, final prediction here I'd like to get from you is just a North London derby happening this weekend as well. Um, really not matching up to us in terms of the best team in London, but uh, Alex, who do you think takes this? Is it Arteta or can, can Conte finally get a win? I mean, this one's not, it's not easy. I don't know. It, it's going to depend maybe on some of the fitness as well of these teams, but it's, it's tough because it's sort of, uh, as you said, the quality's not quite been on display recently. We had Arsenal who were described as playing like a pub team against Nottingham, <laughs> getting knocked out of the cup. 
Uh, and then you have Tottenham, who really just looked overall quite uninspired. But, I mean, even just going on the fact that I watched today's Chelsea game, I might see Tottenham edging this one because they did seem to be causing us a few problems. I don't think we really left first gear. Um, but, you know, Harry Kane had a very sharp finish that was just happened to be a foot or so offside. Um, they had a couple penalty shouts that could have gone the other way if not for VAR. I think Tottenham are, are maybe a little nervy, a little hungry for a result. Um, I could see them getting the jump on Arsenal, but honestly, it's, it's never going to compare to the, uh, the champions of Europe and the, <laughs> the ones who run London. So I'm not, I'm not going to be watching that game, but uh, I could see either team taking it. Tottenham, for me, uh, might just go out and get it done. Yeah, I agree too. I think Conte will wrestle players honestly for that game today. So that's clearly their focus. Jackie, your quick prediction on on the uh, derby? Yeah, I think it's going to be a Tottenham game as well. I agree with both of you guys. What Alex has said is is probably the best way to summarize what will happen. I think Antonio Conte has a way of motivating the team, especially against uh, another London team that's of lower quality than Chelsea. So we'll see how that one plays out. We definitely will. But Premier League is back and it should be a fun-filled weekend. Uh, Double game week for those of you that have been playing the fantasy uh, Premier League. Uh, Jackie, hint, hint. Um, But that wraps it up, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Please continue to subscribe, like, and follow us. It's at the Premier Chels, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Instagram. And on Twitter, it's at Premier Chels. And as always, send us your feedback, send us your questions. We will answer them uh, on the the, uh, podcast. But until then, stay safe and up the chills.